Hi, I'm Stephen Webb, host of Touring Heaven, your tour guide and traveling companion. And I'd like to invite you to come with me on a tour of heaven. One of the last places on earth you'd associate with heaven is an uninhabited part of Saudi Arabia, the middle of desert wilderness. Listen to the wind. Just sand dunes, rocks, brown hills in the distance, wind and heat on your face. What are we doing here? Well, we can only see what our eyes are made to see. Like the Royal Teton Retreat, the Arabian Retreat we're about to tour is also very old. Its construction predates the Saud family, predates Islam, and was here long before Jesus or Abraham were born. It's so old that relatively recent geological events have overtaken it, and it's been completely covered by the desert sand around us. To us, that's a catastrophe, but to the masters who lived on the etheric plane of Earth before the geological event, tens of thousands of years ago, it was something they could deal with. The event was anticipated, and the entire stadium-sized complex of buildings was hermetically sealed and has continued to function ever since without interruption. To give you a sense of the scope of where we're going, the tops of the buildings in the Arabian Retreat are now 125 feet beneath the desert sand. If this seems even more mind-bending than the Royal Teton Retreat, which is inside a mountain range, recall what we learned there. Heaven is as real as what we can see at our vibratory level of Earth, but in the etheric there's far more energy engaged at the subatomic level electron rotation exceeding the frequencies of our visible spectrum. Therefore, every atom, molecule, and cell in a body or a building has far more energy and vibrates at higher frequencies than what we can see or touch. A quick note, if you want to study more about this and know why heaven is the original normal state of being, why it's not visible to us, and why we're living in the slower-moving, war-prone level of Earth, ask your guides or angels to take you back to the Royal Teton Retreat. There are a great range of classes there, available to you in your etheric body and the auditoriums and classrooms of that retreat, because it is, after all, one of the major universities of the Spirit on Earth. Now, while we're standing here in the heat, let me explain that the Arabian Retreat has been one of Jesus' retreats for about 2,000 years, and it's all about service and ministration, as you're about to see. The teaching here is at advanced levels, for mature students or protégés of the Master's, so this tour is a peek at what to expect in the long term after you graduate from the schools of other masters. Before we go into the Arabian retreat, if you haven't heard the introduction episode, now might be a good time to skip back to that orientation so you get what I mean by touring heaven. I'm hoping you're in as quiet a space as possible where you won't be disturbed. Relax and feel at peace. If you're driving right now, it might be best to wait and listen to this later, or you might miss your turn. Here... Looking around the desert, there's no hint in these sand dunes that the Arabian retreat exists beneath us and is busier than ever. Our reference book, The Masters and Their Retreats, gives us an enigmatic description of the interface between the physical and etheric entrance to the retreat. Wide enough for a vehicle, I did say a vehicle, to enter a long incline, and then the sandy entrance closes, leaving only the appearance of desert wilderness. This reference introduces the interesting parallel between our use of vehicles and how the masters travel. At the etheric level, there are many more options for mobility than we have. 
Masters and students can move in personal vehicles that fly much faster and more economically than what's available to us. Remember flying carpets for the Arabian Nights? Where did that idea come from? And how did they not get blown off by the wind? Hermetically sealed ovoid around them, of course. And where did many of the familiar images and themes from ancient mythology and more modern fantasy come from? Discernment would tell you these are echoes of archetypes and memories people have brought back with them from the Master's retreats in the etheric. The Masters can also travel by projecting their Christ awareness or omnipresence to any location in the universe with no need of any kind of vehicle, while their etheric body remains in meditation. Jesus, in his ascended state, is able to multiply his presence in the Holy Spirit to be with whoever calls to him, whenever and wherever they are on earth. That could be thousands or billions of simultaneous Christ presences of Jesus, fully conscious of the unique needs and concerns of each soul crying out to him. To us, Jesus is personal and masculine, but in this perpetual role of teaching, caring, and nurturing all in need, he is a representative of the impersonal Divine Mother, the caregiver to all life. It's possible because Jesus' aura of sensitive listening awareness is larger than our planet. His awareness is congruent with the mind of the One God, the Creator and Father of both spirit and matter, and so, yes, that omniscience is larger than Earth, much larger. With that context to consider, you might feel a little overwhelmed by our elder brother's attainment, but take comfort. Two thousand years ago, when Jesus said, All power in heaven and on earth is given unto me, he was already merged in consciousness with God. He thought and spoke as God, simultaneously being a physical man. That state is Christ consciousness. And he, Jesus, was anointed by God to publicly demonstrate that it was possible to have that divine power as a man in the physical world. Now, power is only given incrementally to those who prove they can be trusted not to abuse it. Jesus proved that over eons. And if you ask for it, you'll have the same opportunity to be tested. All right, at last, the dunes opening in front of us. And as we walk down this warmly lit incline into the Arabian retreat, think about trust. Trust is at the core of friendship and brotherhood, and it's the constancy of that quality in you that'll be tested. And we're looking around. We notice the same self-luminous substance in the walls and ceilings that lit the Royal Teton retreat. It's everywhere here too. Bright and cheery light around us. And of all things, we notice a floral fragrance. And the wide door behind us is closing on the desert. We greet our assigned tour guide and we're heading for the elevator entrance, similar to when we arrived at the Royal Teton. And then, as we descend about 400 feet in the elevator, we're thinking that the tour guides in both retreats are ascended masters, immortals, who long ago resolved all their personal imbalances, such as those we're somewhat aware of or unaware of in ourselves. Questions begin to form. Like, how did this Ascended Master achieve the state of immortality? And how was he invited to work in Jesus' retreat? But then, the elevator doors open, and our eyes look upward in awe at the majesty all around us. We step out in silence, gazing up at luminous Grecian columns, 300 feet high, inscribed with glowing hieroglyphs. And somewhere above the tops of the columns, the ceiling is like looking up into the sun from center field in an enormous stadium. Now new and different questions begin to form. 
If this dazzling stadium, supported by self-luminous columns, predated the geological event that covered the exterior and sand, it must also predate Greek and Egyptian architecture. So where are these hieroglyphs and columns from? Could the ancient Greek and Egyptian architects have come here in their etheric bodies long ago for schooling in building and writing? There's no time to ask questions before the master, smiling at our expressions, guides us into a nearby council room where the arched ceiling is supported by a single column in the center. We move closer to the central pillar to get a better look at the symbols inlaid into the floor in a big circle. There are 12 symbols, similar to our signs of the zodiac, but different. They're not what we're used to seeing because these are the 12 cosmic symbols for divine order, distinct from our zodiac, which represents the karmic conditions of our civilization. We take one thoughtful circuit of the inlaid symbols around the great column. And we're moving again, beginning our tour of the great rooms and magnificent chambers leading away from the center of the retreat. The very first chamber we enter brings to mind how we weigh the value of trust. Trust in God is different from trust in man. A large screen in the center of the room introduces a concept we didn't see in the Royal Teton retreat. This screen could best be described as real-time viewing of any location on Earth, from the broad perspective of a surveillance satellite down to a room and to a personal view of anyone. Its capabilities far exceed the surveillance systems of any nation-state on Earth. At the turn of a dial, in the wrong hands, this could be a worst-case scenario. But it's not. Jesus works and teaches here. Archangel Raphael and Mother Mary and other masters often work from the Arabian retreat. This is an important place because it's at the center of the Middle East. It's one of the most war-torn regions on Earth because of the ongoing efforts of dark forces. The masters and angels of peace and of healing who assist Jesus here have no guile in them, only great love for us and hope that we can overcome our state of ignorance and delay. We might have our suspicions about the political motives for nation-state surveillance in our world, but can we understand the spiritual motives of Jesus and the other masters who can see and hear anywhere at any time? Understanding matters. The next room we visit has an audio device that can hear any conversation in any room or bunker, in any field, forest, or cave, anywhere on the planet. This technology has been in the hands of the Masters since before recorded history, and the Masters have known everything about every diabolical crime, coup, manipulation, and war before it happened. And so why didn't they stop these terrible things from causing so much suffering and loss of life over the centuries? This is where the patience of the saints has been tried and continues to be tried. By cosmic law, the masters can't intercede and prevent awful things happening in our world unless they're invited by us to intercede. We are responsible for our world but barely understand that. When we in our ignorance are silent and don't know what help to pray for, then the masters must stand by with tears in their eyes as tragedies unfold with little or no mitigation. It's painful. Deep regret is painful for them. Remember the words of the Master, Confucius, in the Royal Teton. Our hopes are very high for the unburdening of all the hearts of heaven. The Master leading us now explains our responsibility for preserving our civilization. Few, he says, have the capability and the prompting to pray for intercession 
without ceasing. But you could offer a prayer once in every 24 hours that by your free will you give your God-given authority for the physical earth to Jesus the Christ to act in your name in those situations and areas deemed a vital and urgent necessity. Your prayer could simply name world treachery and intrigue and that you authorize Jesus to checkmate any dark plot or cause of darkness on earth. In this, you exercise responsibility. But wait, we're responsible for preventing pain? Us? The Master's steady, compassionate eyes convey an unspoken confirmation. This is where our free will comes in. No one's going to tell you what to do. Just as a loving parent doesn't spoil their children or completely control them, the Ascended Master's personifying God must let us choose our own way. The choice to pray daily because we care, or do nothing because we forgot, is on us. As if to underline how high the stakes are regarding our responsibility for Earth, we're ushered into a laboratory where initiates visiting in their etheric bodies like us are being taught practical mitigation through counterterrorism techniques. We overhear a master teaching these devoted specialists how to counteract biological warfare, poison gas attacks and large-scale chemical attacks on population centers. This is a class in a service administration retreat. And then another surprise. The Arabian retreat, among others, has long hosted a center for counter-espionage, a cosmic secret service. The hierarch of the service works with Jesus but has no recognizable name other than K-17. He's an adept, wise, humble, and merciful, directing large numbers of both etheric and physical agents. They come and go to and from the retreat to monitor the activities of those they describe as the Brothers of the Shadow. K-17 is a dispensation to walk the halls and offices of any government, corporation, military, or intelligence community in physical form, far more often than any other Ascended Master. He's a trusted confidant to key leaders in any institution in any nation who need his counsel. K-17 goes by many names and speaks all languages. And no one knows he's an Ascended Master or where he gets his continually accurate information. A part of your mind wonders at this. This is heaven. How could there be any use for espionage in heaven? And then you instantly realize it's to help us. The lower vibratory rates of our physical plane are a kind of hell to the Masters and the Angels. Yet they volunteer every day to buy us time and preempt disasters when we remember the call to them. Preemptive prayer avoids 911 calls. Like the Royal Teton, we walk past studios in the Arabian retreat for advanced learning in art, music, and government. New techniques in the arts and statecraft, we're told, will be released through initiates, maybe people we know, whose divine plan is to specialize in these careers in our octave. Without stopping for more discussion, the Master guides us along another softly carpeted hall to our next grand doorway. This is the final teaching studio we enter on our tour. It's very quiet. It has little or no equivalent activity in our world. It's only for advanced students, and so observing the lesson takes a few moments to understand the context. Just as white light shining through a prism separates into seven different colors or frequencies of light, so at the etheric level, each pure color of light in us projects or radiates certain divine qualities into our behavior and actions. In your mind's eye, etheric blue vibrates with qualities of will and strength, protection and determination. 
If you're seeing yellow, it has qualities of wisdom, illumination, and understanding. Pink projects love, beauty, and comfort, and so on. I have to keep it down, because in this calm, peaceful studio, students are being taught to concentrate these divine qualities within the threefold flame in their etheric heart and project these qualities short distances as a kind of devotional ray for the reinforcement and benefit of others. This is what angels do when they answer our prayers. They radiate. Masters like Jesus can send rays of love and comfort, wisdom, or protection instantly across the planet. These students are just starting, but are still way ahead of what we could even imagine. The master is beckoning us out into the hall. It'd be good to listen to the whole class to know more about the science behind being able to radiate love. But we're not in the hall. We're walking in a tunnel of bright light. And now we're stepping out of the tunnel. We're above ground on beautiful lawns, and we're walking through gardens. Where are we? In front of us is a large circular temple, a brilliant white, attached to long buildings on either side. Our guiding master explains where we are as we go up the steps and enter through the temple doors. This is the temple of the resurrection, he says. And we are now walking in the etheric level of Jerusalem. Jesus the Christ and Mother Mary are the hierarchs of this temple. And then we move into the foyer and we see the interior is also round with seven broad corridors circling the building. The Master tells us that the Temple of the Resurrection is even more specialized than the Arabian retreat. Its primary purpose is to be the etheric focus for the resurrection flame, both for the planet and for advanced souls who are ready for it. Now, if you remember the special room in the Royal Teton Retreat, which was the focus for the blue and yellow and pink threefold flame, you might recall that this is the tiny, non-physical, etheric light of God you already have in the center of your chest. The resurrection flame is the exact same threefold flame, but a perfectly balanced, enlarged, and rapidly spinning version. It spins so fast the three flames blur into a mother-of-pearl cloud of bright light. The effect of this intense light energy raises the frequency of a soul's etheric body to the state just prior to the ascension, or immortality. On the physical level, it's rare for people's threefold flames to be evenly balanced, or for their mental, emotional, physical, and etheric bodies to be aligned with their Christ, or their immortal self. Only advanced souls who have prepared over many lifetimes and are ready to receive the grace of the ascension can immerse themselves in the full power of the resurrection flame. For others, such as ourselves, it's enough to know it exists and that there are resurrection chambers in the wings of the temple beyond the central flame room available for souls like us to prepare step by step. In these chambers, there are angels who specialize in teaching us the gradual acceleration of the resurrection flame and its pristine use. And now the master's calling us forward and we're pausing at each of the seven circular corridors allowing us a moment to appreciate the change in radiance. And by the time we get to the central altar, we feel the increase in intensity. Yes, it feels pristine. But what are the uses of the resurrection flame? We're about to find out. We're at the central altar that holds the resurrection flame for the retreat. There are eight pillars around it. And we look around at the paintings on the walls of the circular room, and they're not about celebrating past victories, 
They're about setting the images and expectations of future history. The resurrection flame, radiated on a planetary scale, has a profound future use in raising the awareness of humanity from gross physicality to the purest creativity. According to the paintings, key leaders will appear at the right time in the future history of our world to set the standards in behavior and activity that the brotherhood of this temple project as the stages leading to a golden age. People of light will need to recognize the signs. That means there's going to be a gradual merging of the physical and the etheric through our choice to accelerate our threefold flames toward a planetary resurrection. We're going to be involved in this. But could that really be our future? And then, aware of our momentary doubt, the Master smiles and directs our attention to four large murals. There, in these murals, is the answer. The connecting of our world as we know it now to that seemingly far-off golden age. The most prominent mural shows a great figure in a pink velvet robe, reading to the people from a book of cosmic law. There's such certainty and authority in the eyes and bearing of this leader. A sense of awe anchors our attention on him, wanting to be there in that future crowd of listeners. The other murals don't have the same impact on us, so we go back and stand in front of the first one. Who is he? On that one, there's no answer from the master, so... We begin walking again, this time to what seems like one of the healing wings of the temple. The Master explains as we walk that there are other uses of the resurrection flame, applications that matter right now. And then looking in on several wards, we see people sleeping and we have to listen carefully to the quietened voice of the Master to understand what's going on. What we learn is that the Temple of the Resurrection also operates as an extreme trauma center for people who go through a violent death. And because of the circumstances, their souls are unable to recuperate from the shock. Victims of trauma and crime, terrorism and war are brought here from all over the world in their etheric body. And they stay in a state of sleep until a gently radiating resurrection flame resuscitates their ability to cope and removes the sting of death. The steady radiance eventually helps them to regain consciousness on their own and go through what we would think of as rehab and classes in the retreat before they go on to other retreats of the masters and prepare for a new life again on our physical level. Then we begin to retrace our steps back toward the central altar. The master tells us there's no discrimination in the retreat regarding guilt, nationality, ethnicity or religion. He suggests post-traumatic stress disorder has possibly been a condition we've experienced once or twice over the centuries. Somehow we've recovered with a little resurrection help, enough to be able to understand this tour, and it follows from seeing the service to trauma victims that our elder brothers and sisters see the vision of God for an oncoming planetary golden age, physical and etheric earth becoming one, and they want us to recover from the sting and get back into the flow as if the painful death of the physical body was a passing event and more important things are waiting. As we near the central altar, the master gestures to us to stand beside him. He pauses for a moment, then smiling at our surprise, says, I would like to present you once more to the hierarch of the Temple of the Resurrection, the Ascended Master, Jesus the Christ. And just like that, without any fanfare, Jesus in a plain white robe and sash approaches us at the central altar and stands in front of one of the eight pillars. He smiles and greets us as if he's just seen us a short time ago. When he speaks, his voice instantly generates a warm, familiar memory. It's such a relief and a joy to hear every word that tears come quickly. 
He looks directly at us and says, In my heart there is written the name of every son and daughter of God evolving upon earth. That inner name I hold and I surround with love and I secure in the presence of the Most High. Thus I intercede with Mary, with Michael the Archangel, and with all of the hosts of heaven on behalf of humanity. And my prayers are that none of these be lost, but that all be found in the fullness of the stature of Christ. Then, holding our hands in his, Jesus prays silently for a few moments. Then he opens his eyes and gives us a slight nod, clearly certain we're going to be fine. As he leaves, there's a kind of transfer of that certainty, erasing any doubt about our involvement in the future history of physical earth. Our guide pats our shoulders and gestures towards the sky. It's time. Remember the mural. Above us, in a clear sky, we see rings of sapphire blue angels, our escorts, here to take us back to a physical world. Our sleeping mind will have no understanding of where we've been and who was here to pray for us. How will we explain it to ourselves? A little bit at a time, most likely, after the alarm goes off. But before you go back, a note for those of you who'd like to know more about Jesus himself. We all know him as the historical figure, but we realize his life stream didn't just disappear 2,000 years ago because there was no more written record. He's real, he's busy, and he's in our future. But he also has a backstory in the Akashic Records I think you'd be interested in. You can find out a lot more about why Jesus was qualified and anointed by God to personify the office of the Son of God, to exemplify the second person of the Trinity to the public, beginning on page 141 of the Masters and their Retreats. You can browse the book and buy it on AscendedMastersSpiritualRetreats.com. Next episode, you're welcome again to be my travel companion and this time to tour Gautama Buddha's retreats. Two retreats once more, the ancient one in an etheric octave concurrent with the Gobi Desert in Mongolia and the newest founded in 1981 in the etheric concurrent with forested alpine wilderness just north of Yellowstone National Park in Montana. My hope is the humility and gentleness, loving patience and brotherhood of Jesus and Gautama will be evident in our next tour. So for now, I'll leave you with the salutation the Masters give to their initiates, knowing more than we do about what we're up against. It's about their perpetual positive attitude, never giving up on us. Always victory! <laughs>